If you've ever had a really good plant-based dish, vegan, vegetarian, whatever, if you have ever thought to yourself, hmm, I wonder what it might be like if I just gave up meat. Today's episode is one that you might get excited about. You're listening to Roots Change, episode 77. Today I'm joined by Brigitte Jem, and I'm going to just tell you this before we even get into it. It's worth the listen. She is a phenomenal human being, very concerned with her imprint she has on this world and her family. She answered so many questions that I had, offered new perspectives, and honestly, the conversation was just so fun. But as the saying goes, you'll have to see it for yourself. I'm Amy, a life and wellness coach. You're listening to Roots Change, a Grow With Me podcast. Every week, myself and others come on to share something we've learned in our own journey and hopes it helps you and yours. Brigitte, thank you so much for joining the Roots Change podcast today. This is out of the ordinary For the content that we put out, uh, it's usually personal growth, but in my heart, I feel like how we eat is just about as personal growth as it gets. Why don't you start real quick by just giving us an understanding of who you are, what you do, and how you're showing up in the world? Yeah. Before I introduce myself, just to you know, riff on the personal growth thing. I mean, we're grown up, so technically we're not growing a whole lot. Some of us may even be getting shorter as we age. Um, but if you're thinking of of children and teenagers, they are actually, you know, the food they eat directly contributes to their personal growth in the most literal sense there is. I mean, every part of our body, not every single part, but a lot of our body is constantly rebuilt, like with new building blocks, new cells that are brand new, that are made from what? Well, they have to be made from something and that's from the food we eat. So yes, totally. Food is about personal growth. I'm all for that. And uh, yes, yeah, so my name is Brigitte Jem. Uh, what I do in my daily life is I decide what's for dinner for people. Because my mom, I'm doing this to uh, make amends for my mom. Because when I was growing up, my mom would sometime around 4 p.m., you know, when we came back from school, would say, so what do you want for dinner? And everybody would scurry away, (laughs) you know, and no one wanted to answer that question. And she always said the worst thing about cooking, it's not actually cooking. It's not even cleaning up. It's deciding what's for dinner. And I made that into a little business um, which was uh, very convenient for me also because I have two kids aged uh, now seven and 10. But when I started this, they were quite a bit smaller. And so I was not able to show up nine to five somewhere as I did before. And um, what I do, yeah, is that people ask me what's for dinner and it has to be plants uh, because my business is called Vegan Family Kitchen. I send people meal plans every two weeks that tell them what they're going to eat, what they're going to shop for, what we can do to prep on the weekend to make life easier. I strongly believe that those cooking habits and those routines that we have every single week, they can be the anchor for all the wonderful things and the wonderful ways that we can show up in the world. And I 
honestly cannot think of more something more important to do. And there's so many of us that think they hate cooking or we resent it or we feel better about it. And it's like, oh my God, you know, how did I just feed you? We have to feed you again. Um, I have this uh, online course program called the 5,000 meal solution, because if you have little kids right now, well, you're going to be cooking about 5,000 meals for them before they go anywhere. And it can be, it can feel like a burden, but I like to also, aside from the meal plan, I have uh, often monthly workshops and, and cooking cooking focused seminars kind of thing where we we talk about how to cook, but we also talk about the mindset around preparing food. And I like to think not only I have to cook dinner, I get yes. to cook dinner and, and, and putting in a little bit of, of gratitude and and presence in the act allows it to become filled with joy and it makes a, a world of difference. So those those are some of the things I do, yes. That was a lot. You do a lot as we all do <laughs> when we really get into it. You said so many things that I want to respond to and it's going to be hard for me to focus and pick just one. But to begin with, I invited you into conversation with me because I really do feel like food is so much a part of us and who we are. I have a 17-year-old child who decided they no longer were going to eat meat as of last year. It's been a little bit more than a year. And the amount of resistance I had when my child told me this was unsettling. I already, I'm the person you are talking about uh, when it comes to meals. I have four kids. I have a very busy life like most of us do. It doesn't matter what we do. We all have a busy life. Cooking just was really at the bottom of the list. It was a requirement. It's like something that I have to do once in a while. It's something I enjoy doing, but it felt like a burden. And when my child told me, hey, mom... <laughs> not eating meat anymore. After I got over myself and stopped making it about me and acting like she just did something to me, I kind of went into a panic. Like what in the hell am I going to do? How am I going to do all of this? I already don't like cooking. And now she's throwing us all for a loop and it's going to be so hard. I know there's someone out there who has a website. I apologize for, I don't know the exact URL, but it's something along the lines of help my daughter is going vegetarian. It is, I mean, it's big enough that somebody's made a business out of it. It is a very common scenario. And as you say, we we often, I think, take it personal. I mean, I my kids uh, were quite small when we went full vegan at home. So they, they never like asked me to cook chicken or anything, uh, but they're not fully vegan. They might eat meat or dairy on occasion. They don't especially like it, but but all this to say that once in a while, you know, they're, I, I like to call them slightly selective eaters. Mm -hmm. My daughter is becoming more adventurous, but my son really uh, does not embrace novelty um, very much on his plate. And, you know, you put a lot of effort into cooking, even if you don't like it. Sometimes, you know, you've prepared the meal, you've thought about it, you've shopped for it, you put it on the table. And I remember my son was about three years old and he said, mom, I want a different dinner. And I could have thrown him through the window. <laughs> Like I've, you know, I've poured so much love in this, although maybe I was doing it reluctantly to begin with. And not only I have to suffer through the actual cooking, but now I have to suffer through your attitude about mm -hmm. my cooking, you know, and I, I 
totally get that. And there's also so much linked to family history and traditions and the beliefs we have and knowledge and beliefs we have around the topic of nutrition and wanting to do the best for our children. There's the, the amount of emotion that goes into that occasional event where you might have a child that says, I don't want to eat meat anymore or a spouse. It also happens. Um, I can see how it would be uh, a, a big hinge moment in someone's life for sure. Yes. Just like hearing you talk about something like this, I'm actually having a little bit of a nervous system response right now. Just hearing, I remember another thing that made it so scary for me is I have a bit of, hmm, I don't know what to call it. I was a mom I, at 18. And money has always, let me rephrase that. Money was something that was really hard for me. Uh, it felt really lacky, struggling, never had enough. Food was a big deal. I remember feeling so bad because it was, it felt more cost effective. I could get more bang for my buck buying processed food for my family than totally. prepare, yeah, than preparing it myself. And it was heartbreaking to me. Um, over time, I learned how to work inside of my budget and, you know, provide a little bit of, of both. And when she told me like, I'm no longer eating meat, even that kicked back in like that old trauma that, cause it was trauma for me, that old trauma, oh, like yes. back in, how you can afford this. So it was not just how I felt about it, like the inconvenience. It was, how is my family going to react? How is this going to work out at like family dinners? How am I going to afford this? It was just a whole, a whole lot. There's a lot that is packed into that decision. And um, I, I feel the need to say that chickpeas should be cheaper than chicken. You know, yes. I mean, when you think of what goes into <laughs> growing chickpeas and what grows into growing like chicken, but um, as you mentioned, you know, the ultra processed food, the price point can be taken, you know, down so much and become so affordable. And there's so much going into this also, you know, having a properly um, supplied kitchen where you can actually cook meals, right. And having the time to cook. And, you know, there's a lot that goes, that goes in there. And it's a bit of a scandal that it would feel like it's more expensive and it doesn't have to be, but when you don't know a whole lot about cooking different food, of course, that would also be a, a barrier that would just blow the whole thing over the top. And I got to say, one of my personal, like massive pet peeves is food waste. And when we travel and if we're not able to cook every meal from like a, you know, a vacation rental or something and the kids order some kind of food, let's say they don't like it. And, you know, it, it's very expensive to eat out. It's even worse now. Like we were just on a trip and I was blown away at the cost of meals. And then in addition, like you're not going to eat it. And if we're eating out, for me, it's a bit the, the opposite where, you know, we eat only vegan food, my husband and I and the kids often the vegan option is like either it's like spicy or it's really like kind of grown up food a little more. Right. And so the kids, they just want like something simple and there's no like vegan chicken nuggets. So they will order, you know, non-vegan chicken nuggets and I can't even finish their plate, <laughs> you know, like, and so that makes, that really brings a lot of emotion for me. So anyway, I'm totally on the same page as you. That's, that's amazing. But I, I'd love to hear what happened next for you uh, once you got over the whole thing. 
Oh, well, that, I mean, that was a work in progress. So it's not just you who it's like affects initially. It was my whole, it, my whole household. So there's your household and then there's extended family. So not only do you have to get on board yourself, get your family on board, because it's also not about them. Then you have to prep everybody else and help them to understand that it's also not an insult to them and how they respond to my child can be helpful or hurtful. And so (laughs) that aspect, it's been, it's been fun. It's been going really well, actually. She was really understanding. I think she just appreciated the when I stopped making it about me um, and calmed myself down and saw that it was something that mattered to her. Therefore it mattered to me too. Uh, She was really patient with me and, you know, we've been doing the best we can. I've been getting a little bit more adventurous with my, (laughs) with my cooking. I love on your website where you're talking about what you do, you help people eat more plants, not just people like we're meat eaters, everyone besides my daughter, but because of her lifestyle change, we all have benefited. It has actually cut costs down as like the price of meat has risen. It's been okay because I've slowly, we've cut down our serving to like what it's actually supposed to be. That was a process. Yeah. It's huge. Um, yeah. And we can, we probably don't have meat in at least three meals a week. And I think that's a big deal. Something I find, uh, you know, I, I get quite involved sometimes more than I should in internet conversations with people. And I, so my training is a sociologist, right? I'm a, I'm a, an, a bit of an ethnographer. I'm kind of a professional eavesdropper, <laughs> you know, like I go places and I listen to conversations. If I go to a restaurant, like I just can't help myself, but listen to other people talking. I just love that stuff. So the internet and especially like Facebook are really deep places for me to get lost because I can just, you know, listen to people thinking and conversing with each other. And anyway, so something that comes up often in conversation is, oh, if everybody went vegan, you know, how are we going to grow all these vegetables? And the funny thing is, well, how come, I mean, eating vegetables is not a vegan thing, right? Everybody should be eating vegetables. The Canadian food guide, and um, I know that it's not actually realistic, and that's a conversation for another day for most people to to be able to afford that, but they, you know, a a standard plate, anyway, we'll talk about that. But a standard plate, according to the Canadian food guide that was updated a couple of years ago is, Half the plate should be vegetables and fruit, you know, some fruit. A quarter of the plate should be so-called protein-dense foods. So things like legumes. And they actually say, um, choose plant protein more often, right? So legumes and maybe tofu and things like that and lean meats, whatever they say. And then a quarter of whole grains. So everybody, including people who eat, you know, meat and fish and, and dairy products should be having half their plates with vegetables already. But the the fact is, I think that we've become obsessed with protein as a really big thing. And it's also just easier to make um, meat and especially slightly, you know, the meat as they sell it in supermarkets. I don't think most of the meat is sold like plain. It's sold with some kind of embellishment and flavorings added in. And so it doesn't take 
a PhD in cooking <laughs> to make yeah. it taste pretty good, right? Whereas if you buy a can of chickpeas, well, for most people, there's a, a steep road ahead to make the chickpeas be appealing. And there is not as many, especially affordably priced options. So anyway, th there's a big focus on protein and there's a lack of, of skill and familiarity around preparing vegetables. There's this idea that, oh my God, vegetables are expensive. Well, I've got news for you. Cabbage is really cheap mm -hmm. and it can be so good. It's so sweet and delicious, right? But most people don't know that. Like they tell me, you want me to eat green cabbage, you know? <laughs> so um, those are definitely challenges. Um, but as you say, if there's even just this, uh, I went to this um, women's retreat last uh, summer and there were 40 women there. And as far as I know, it was just me and my friend who were the plant-based people there. It's it's camp, you know, it's a like camp food and there's a chef preparing the food for everybody and it was not gourmet or anything, but it was pretty good. But he wants the least possible amount of effort and fewer <laughs> dirty dishes, right? So two of the meals that were made were fully vegan just because it was easier. And I was like, well, that's great because everybody gets to eat more plants. And he made an awesome chickpea curry and nobody was looking for the meat. You know what I mean? And so I think it was, it, it makes me feel good when, yeah, I'm kind of a needle in somebody's foot you know, <laughs> saying, I would like, you know, I'm here, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be eating meat, but then it has a positive kind of halo effect on the diet of a lot of other people around us. So It's huge. It makes a huge change. So, I mean, this podcast is called Roots Change and it's all about, you know, deciding what's going to, what's going to be our roots. What do we want to believe? What kind of impact do we want to have in our household, in our family, in our community, in our world? And when you make one little small change, it really does have a ripple effect People choosing a different, I don't know if I should call it a lifestyle or I call it a lifestyle because it yeah. is like, it's a big totally. change. It, it, it is more sustainable. I, I, I did a lot of research when, uh, when this was a new thing for us because the mister was not so on board, even though he's not the one that cooks, he took it you know, he was a little snooty about it when he would notice that there was not meat on anybody's plate. Occasionally he would be looking for the meat. That was probably, I love that you said no one was looking for the meat. Um, it was a but, bunch of women though. I gotta say. Yeah. So they were probably just being polite <laughs> or it didn't matter because it was creative and it was delicious. Exactly. Um, but, oh boy, now I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you were saying, you know, about how that transition and doing all the research and oh, yeah. trying so to pad, I, pad the decision, right? Yeah, I realized like the amount of water and the amount of corn, like the amount that goes into our livestock compared to like plant-based diet is just atrocious. It's, I'm not... I do eat meat and I'm going to also say that eating meat as the, my majority is also reckless for me. This is just me talking. I feel like it's a personal responsibility for me to decrease my imprint. Um, and so that's why I'm slowly without my yeah. family being aware. <laughs> 
change. And that's that's a wise thing to do in every way. You know, I mean, you mentioned the um, and I, I don't like I'm not in the business of arguing to make people go vegan. Um, like I like to take people when they've decided that they want to eat more plants for whatever reason. And I help them implement that because I think there was a bit of a gap there, especially when I started. Now there's more resources, but I'm like, yeah, every day, day to day basis, this is, you know, how it can work for people to do this. Um, but my own trajectory when I came to this was really an awakening. You know, I've always tried to be a, a good environmental citizen and I was raised in the eighties when recycling was becoming a thing. And I actually have this, this uh, memory, very vivid that we had collected, I think it was newspaper because even newspaper was not really recycled until the late eighties. And we had a newspaper recycling drive and we had all these boxes or, you know, bundles of newspaper that we were human chaining out of the school toward the recycling plant or something you know and it was it was a big thing that recycle and then I, I moved to the city and I I was biking and walking everywhere I did not want to be in a car and I wanted to have you know a light transportation footprint and when somebody told me on an internet forum one day oh you know if you're uh, eating steak and I loved steak I used to eat uh, I like to call it uh, scared, which was like you put it on the grill, it goes, ah, and then you turn it, yeah. ah, and that's it. You know, I like blue blue steak and blue cheese very much. Um, and But somebody said, you know, if you're powering your cycling with meat, it's you might as well be driving a Hummer. And uh, somebody's actually done the math, and it is not too, too far off uh, in terms of if you're commuting, you know, doing a lot of cycling, it takes a lot of, you know, you're spending more calories than right. you would if you were just sitting in your car. And actually it turns out to not be too too dissimilar. It's a bit of an exaggeration, but not that much. So it really questioned who I was as a person for me because I saw myself as a good person, right? Who was doing her best to be a good citizen and all those things. And it was like, oh, actually, you know, there's these things I'm doing. And I was not, I was actually raised in a, in farmland. To me, animals were working things. I'm not like an animal lover. Uh, you could say like, I don't want to hug cows. Um, but my, my dad had a dairy farm for a short while. Then we had pigs. Uh, my grandfather was a dairy farmer. And, and to me, animals were, yeah, you know, in there in support of people. Right. And so I was really not at all in a place to embrace veganism in the sense of animal rights, you know, when I first came to this. And it took me, I'd say, probably a couple of years. And then once I was secure in my feeling of, oh, yeah, I can eat this way and I don't feel deprived. Oh, I've discovered all these different ways to cook. And I was confident that I would be nourished, that I would be healthy. I had more time to do the research about the nutrition and stuff like that. And then I was like, okay, yeah, now I'm ready to think about the rest. And that's when I decided to go fully vegan. And some people may never get there for all sorts of reasons. And that's yeah. that's not necessarily a problem, but I think from a, and then what happened to me in the years after, uh, my father was rather sick and basically became, my father went from being the strongest man on earth, you know, to me, but he was, he was a very strong person to completely degenerating into dementia and, and dying as a very feeble person. And really as a result of a lifetime of poor lifestyle decisions. And I was like, okay, that's not cool. That's not great. You know, everybody's got to die of something. Yes, but that's not a great way to die, you know, with chronic disease. 
And that's become a really big motivation for me because mm-hmm. I've seen all around me and, and my father's family, especially, but also my mom's family. I'm from, my dad is one of 17 kids. My mom, Ooh. one of 11, <laughs> you know, big so house, a- I have big, big households too. My parents also, it's like oh, wow. 10 and 11 in the other. Yeah. So I have a big sample, right. Of people that I see what's, what, you know, happens when you get in your seventies and I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my husband. I don't want my kids to have to deal with me in any of those kind of positions. And it's not, um, you know, an incontrovertible fact that you need to be hundred percent vegan to, to be healthy in your later years. That's not necessary, but it sure helps if you've eaten your vegetables and your fiber, <laughs> you know? Right. And so I'm really now increasingly motivated to, to share that knowledge and to share that way of eating, to make it easier for people, but also to make it, um, you know, we were talking about the chore and all this, really there's value in embracing it because we love ourselves. We love ourselves way more than the people who make the processed food. Like they don't care about us. And the people who work in restaurants, well, for most of them, it's really just a job and they care about surviving their day-to-day, but they don't care about nourishing us and keeping us healthy and vital, you know, for many, many years. And so that's, that's really become a big driver for me and my own daily choices and, and saying no to a bunch of things in my life that would make me busier, but that would take time away from preparing really good food because it does take a little longer. Frankly. It does. And yeah. I was going to say, like, it does require, if there's a cost benefit to everything and time is important, how long you're spending in the kitchen does matter. I am by no means, everybody, listen, I'm not like... <laughs> I'm not even close to doing the best I can for myself or my family when it comes to how we nourish ourselves through food, but I'm working on it. And I've been working on it for, I don't know, a year and a half when I realized like how gut health affects us. Oh yeah. Um, I, I operate from my mind a lot. And so when I started to learn how trauma works in my body. And then it's just been like a little, you know, a carrot trail. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've realized how important uh, nutrition is. Uh, and I love how you describe caring for ourselves through food. Uh, you're so careful with the words that you choose. I hope everybody is catching it. It's just, you have such a beautiful mindset well, about well, this. Thank you. Time in the kitchen. What I hope for myself is that it can be my kitchen can be a sacred space for me. It's not right now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's I aspirational. Have, <laughs> I have sacred spaces in my house. Um, I have a very ritualistic approach to things that I want to do for myself because they're that important. And my experience will help me to do it again. But I was in the kitchen the other day preparing a meal from scratch in quotations because <laughs> it wasn't all from scratch. That I have tried that and woof, learning curve, but I was cutting vegetables, like, you know, potatoes and carrots. And I think I had cauliflower. I don't remember what I was making, but I told my son who was in the kitchen with me, Osiris. And I was like, wow, like this feels different. This feels different when I'm actually like washing dirt off of vegetables than it does when I'm cutting a bag and throwing vegetables into a saucepan. Yeah. You're, you're, you're empowered, 
you know, to, to do something for yourself. And I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Gabor Mate. He's a family doctor who's worked a lot on trauma and addiction. And he's actually from here in Vancouver. Um, and he's worked a lot on the downtown east side. The downtown east side of Vancouver is the poorest place um, in North America, pretty much. And it has the highest rate of addiction per thousand people or whatever in, in, you know, North America. It's a very, very challenging neighborhood. A lot of people that have lived with really, really heavy past that, you know, it's the last place you go. It's Mm -hmm. the end of the road in so many ways. And so he's written a number of books about trauma. And I was listening to him on this podcast, on the Ritual podcast, because he's just published a new book about trauma. He was talking about how a number of people, when they have faced their trauma, were able to heal from some chronic conditions that had been bugging them, especially uh, autoimmune disorders yes, and stuff like that, right? And how the trauma body connection has been really neglected, obviously, duh, by medicine, you know? And But another topic that's been neglected by medicine is nutrition. Where I'm going with this is that you hear a lot of of situations where people have radically, you know, they had a health situation that was really dire. They hit the bottom of the barrel, you know, they had a cancer diagnostic that they were not seeing coming at all or something happened. And then they're very motivated to radically transform their diet, right? And they they start, you know, they go 100% plant-based and they cook everything from scratch all of a sudden and this and that, right? And they have a miraculous you know, by medicine standard, like uh, uh, my husband's a doctor and sometimes he's like, well, you know, he's totally on board with plant-based for health, but he's like, maybe it was a spontaneous, you know, recovery. It does happen, right? People's cancers sometimes disappear. But as I was listening to Gabor Mate this weekend, I kind of put two and two together. And I think there's an aspect there where, and this is not tested by science, um, but where when you take control and, and start owning that part about your food, right? And it's the ultimate act of agency to me, mm-hmm. right? Of taking control over your life. I will feed myself. I will be the person who will be driving what, you know, how my body gets made. I think there's a very strong psychological power to that. And I'm thinking increasingly when, you know, people have these medical catastrophic events, and in some cases, it's also people dealing with autoimmune or whatever, and like they start you know, eating super clean, whole foods, plant-based. And then two weeks later, they're off their meds and it's almost too, too good to believe, right? (laughs) It's like, that can't be true. But maybe actually like, I'm kind of starting to be more of a believer. I didn't come to this thinking about those things, but I think there's really, and it's not necessarily just a food. Although of course the food, if you bomb your body with nutrients where you know, previously you were eating just sugar. Well, of course your body is going to say thanks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think there might also be something about that, you know, taking charge of your life, feeling empowered, facing, you know, your, your fears and stopping to, to, to be the victim of what happened to you and being able to take over. I I don't know. That's more your field than mine. Right. But I think maybe there's something to this. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a, anything besides who I am. And my degrees are business and accounting. But I will say in my experience, I 100% support what you just said, having not even had that experience, just because I understand how it works in our mind. And 
if somebody, they don't even know what they're doing is my guess. When somebody has a chronic illness and they are starting to use diet to try to treat it, and then they see this huge transformation while they're preparing their food and eating it, they think that it's like, once you start to notice a change, then you start to believe that it's going, that you're doing better. And when you tell your brain that you're doing better, I feel like our body can heal itself. So it's just another layer. It's just another layer of how we really, truly have so much control over our life experience than we give ourselves credit for. I never would have even contributed it how you just did had you not just said it, but yes. I, I, you know, that's really a, I've connected two dots since the weekend and I'm just testing this idea, right? But I'm really, and maybe, you know, even if the person was going to put chicken on their dish, you know, they would still feel great. I, I don't know. And it's not miraculous. And it doesn't mean that, um, I mean, Gabor Mate is somebody who's lived through trauma. He was uh, basically handed over by, he was a Jewish person in Hungary at the beginning of World War II. And his mom, like he was a year old and his mom gave him away to a stranger basically to, you know, save his life. And, you know, he's struggled with a lot of things and the consequences of that. Um, and he, you know, he's like, I'm 78 and I still have relapse. You know, I have moments of of where I, I can feel that that trauma is still hitting me. Right. And that's so there's there's no magic pills to anything. But I, I really feel that taking ownership of our lives through like simple habits and routines can really make a difference. And I want to add something else to in something that I've increasingly encouraging people to do is to make conscious compromise because the truth is that we can't eat a perfect diet all the time um, because the vast majority of us have limitations of some kind, whether it's a different kinds of abilities that mean that kitchens don't work for us. I had a client not so long ago that um, used to be right-handed and then she had something catastrophic happen and she couldn't use her right hand anymore. And I don't know if you've tried to chop a carrot with a sharp knife <laughs> with your you know non-dominant hand, but it's really hard. And she it was she was really struggling with a bunch of things. And there is people who don't have the financial means to have like a proper kitchen or they don't have like a bunch of nice spices that they can use to make those chickpeas tasty and all the things or time, you know, you work two jobs or you're stressed with kids or whatever it is that your limitations are. It's okay to make compromises on what we think our ideal meals should be. And I think the key is to choose those compromises wisely. And for example, you know, if you throw me somewhere and I have to live on rice and black beans and some kind of greens that I harvest, you know, dandelion greens, I'd say that's a okay, you know, nutritionally speaking, I can live on that, right? And that's you picked okay. A very new, you picked a very nutritious green. <laughs> but it's the cheapest thing, right? That you can bring together black beans and, and a bit of rice and some greens, right? But with the same money, maybe I could have bought like chicken nuggets. Uh, and that would probably have been tastier, frankly, but it's, it's not the compromise that I'm willing to make, right? And... Uh, I, sometimes I tell myself, you know, stop being so damn picky. Um, <laughs> and that's something I tell myself when I empty the fridge, usually on Fridays, you know, I've cooked all week. And then on Fridays, there's a bunch of bits and bobs left, right? And I make a lunch that's really whatever, and it doesn't go well together. And I know most people wouldn't eat it because it's just so weird. 
but it's, I see the food first as a nourishment rather than like fireworks in my mouth or something, something fun. I don't know. And then it makes it, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's kind of weird, but it's okay. It doesn't taste bad. You know, it's not <laughs> gross. It's just weird or different or anyway. So I think we, we, it's okay to make those compromises. Like if it gets to that, to, to choose, or, you know, obviously using canned beans instead of trying to cook your own beans from scratch all the time. And to, to take some shortcuts and to go simple, simple, simple. And that's okay. That can be delicious. Now, if you're cooking for other people, that gets tricky because other people bring in their expectations and their limitations. It yeah. just takes time. Yes. It just takes time. Every, like, I mean, you deserve a statue. You should have, yeah. you know, anybody who cooks for other people should yes. have like a medal and a statue and there should be a recognition ceremony every year because it's so important. Right. And, and how you cook for others determines how you can, how those other people can show up in the world. And that's so important. And how come is that not recognized more in our society? And how come are we just farming that out to, you know, <laughs> skip the dishes, basically, I know you're or not, whatever it's called, Uber food? I know you're not literally asking that question of me, expecting an answer, <laughs> but I have that question too. Like, what happened? Because we used to, humans we used to be so different um meals were so important and that's where we spent most of our time and I don't I mean I wasn't there but I feel like it was something that people enjoyed doing so that's just something for all of us to think about like who is deciding how we spend our time and who is deciding what's important to us is it us is it our inner being is it society is it the people that helped raise us like we do get to choose and it really does come back to like personal agency um totally all of it but i don't know i would like to approach the kitchen in a way that feels really good and not overwhelming and i'm getting there if anybody is listening and they're you know you've thought about it like i wonder what it would be like to be vegetarian or to go vegan or even just to introduce more plant-based meals into my life. I wonder what that would be like. I would just invite you to be curious and explore. Maybe visit the Vegan Family Kitchen website because Pinterest can be really overwhelming. Made me want to run for the hills. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so you you touch on something and I really want to emphasize that there is a whole business world of getting people hooked on recipes and I love vegan recipe bloggers they've done a great service to humanity there's even like new ingredients I don't know if you've heard of aquafaba it's the can of it's the water from a can of beans like if you whip that it makes meringue like egg whites mm. It's nuts. Okay. So there's people out there who are super smart, super wonderful, developing recipes. But the people who develop recipes for the vast majority, vegan food bloggers and other food bloggers, well, their job is to make recipes that people will click on so that they can sell ads. Their job is not to get you to succeed in the kitchen, which is a completely different thing. And I, what I really strive to do, and it's a much lesser business model in terms of revenue, I can assure you, is to get people to learn to improvise with what they have, to understand the structure of what a plant-based meal or any meal is, and then to be able to riff with what they have in the fridge, what's seasonal, 
using the produce that looks the best or that is what they can afford right now so that they're not constantly having to, you know, oh, eggplant or cauliflower is on sale this week. It looks good. Okay, but now I have to Google for a cauliflower recipe. Then, oh, it requires this spice that I don't have. And it creates a bunch of, you know, just put the cauliflower with salt and pepper and maybe a little bit of oil in the oven and it will be very delicious. You know, you don't need a recipe to tell you how to do that. Smoker, yeah. smoke cauliflower. Put it in a smoker mm. and it's like next Yum. level. One of my favorite. Smoked watermelon is also really good. Have I have that? heard, I have heard that. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> it's so funny that I've never thought about food this way, but how you approach how you eat is no different than how you approach everything else that you're growing through, whatever you're building. It's not going to be sustainable when we're trying to be the best at it all at once. And when we try to do everything all at once. And so I love what you just said. It actually helped me to feel (laughs) You know, like nobody, nobody in their good mind will sign up for a marathon. And I mean, some people do that. (laughs) But, you know, the vast majority of people in their good mind don't do that. Sign up for a marathon and like do zero training and show up for the marathon. Right. And if you do, you may or may not get it to the end. Most people will not. And if they do make it to the end of the marathon, they're not going to run the next day. (laughs) That's for sure. And they're not going to feel like, oh, this was fun. I want to do it again. You know, and cooking is the same. Like, I don't know why we wouldn't have that like small step approach. And you have to do it every day. Like if you run every day or at least like four times a week you have a much better chance of being able to sustain that habit in the long run. Like you don't go in the gym and try to deadlift 300 pounds the first day you get there, right? You're going to injure yourself in your, in your body and your mind too. And cooking should be, should be the same. We deal with the limitations we have and with also the the strengths that we do have at any given time. And we build up from there. And once in a while, it's okay to step back and, just do simple things. Like one of my favorite things to do when I'm in a rush is I just cook pasta and I technically usually have hummus in the fridge because I'm vegan. (laughs) So, (laughs) and I just keep some of the pasta water and I put the cooked pasta back in the pot with a big, you know, scoop of hummus and a little bit of pasta water and you mix it together and it makes like a really delicious kind of creamy pasta. And if you happen to have like tomatoes or so many roasted vegetables, anyway, throw that together. It's the simplest, stupidest meal, right? And it's fine. Like I'm a cooking professional and on a regular basis, I do that. Or I just cook some tofu cubes and I eat them straight up with salt and pepper because you know what? Tofu is actually delicious. It's okay to to ebb and flow and to adapt, but it's important to know what we're doing it for and what our priorities are. And to, to keep those things in mind, if our priority is just like to get people to stop complaining about being hungry, pretty easy, <laughs> you know, and if you want to nourish people, then it's worth it to put in a little bit more thought into it. Thank you so much for this. This has been a really beautiful conversation. If somebody is listening and like I was just kind of leading up to, if they're interested in making a shift or at least experimenting with, with how they are eating and they go onto your website, where do you, where would you advise they start? Because there's actually quite a bit there. You have a lot of different things. Yes. (laughs) On the front page, when you first get there, um, I think, I think the people that thrive the most, my, my clients with the, the stuff, like I 
my main meal plan offering tend to be people who already know how to cook a little bit. You know, they're not starting from like zero. So if you're starting from zero, I don't recommend that you sign up for my newsletter at the top there because it will send you this uh, five-day meal plan that does probably have a little bit more complexity than somebody who starts from zero in cooking. However, if it's somebody that's already cooking daily meals at home, not necessarily completely from scratch, but you know they're comfortable, even if they're mostly cooking meat and stuff, like there's no particular vegan cooking skill involved <laughs> in the sort of stuff I recommend. So I'd say a lot of people might benefit from just seeing what a five-day dinner meal plan is and having this idea. The, the big thing in my practice is to have a weekend prep where I spend like 45 minutes to two hours, depending on the week, preparing building blocks for the week so that when it's Wednesday night, you come home and you know that you open the fridge and half the dinner is already in there. And that is really preventing you from ordering pizza. Yeah, you that's know? setting you up for success because it's going totally. to happen. It happens to us all. What do you think is one of the biggest mm, incorrect beliefs that oh. people have when they think about doing this? Because I have one in my head that still feels true, but I don't think it is. But I think it's because of where I go for recipes. So I'm just interested because I'm sure so people- what, what do you think it is? I'm curious. I think it takes so many different ingredients, which I know isn't true because I do cook. <laughs> and I make, sometimes I cook two meals at the same time and I just swap out a few things for my child. So I know that's not true, but when I go to a resource to get recipes and then try to piece together a meal plan, there's so many ingredients that I don't have. And then it feels overwhelming. And like my budget is just blown to shit. Yes. Okay. That's super interesting. I'll just go on that because I think that's a lot of people have that idea. And that's because we, in quotes, shop for recipes in from lots of different sources, right? And I did the exercise. So I have these 53 meal you know, weeks of meals planned because did you know that there's actually 53 weeks in every seventh year? I didn't know that until two years ago. And I was like, wait a minute, there's more year and I don't have a meal plan left to send to my clients. And I realized that every seventh year, so there's a 53rd week. Anyway, so I I compiled all the shopping lists together in a in a spreadsheet and I came up with basically 75 ingredients the pantry ingredients, the rest is vegetables and kind of whatever is in season, right? But 75 pantry ingredients. And over time, you know, people who cook with me, for example, they they buy those things. And then after like two months, they're never buying those things anymore. There's a whole section of the shopping list that's like, oh yeah, once in a while, you need to refill it because you're out, but um, you, you're not constantly buying things. But if you're, you're taking recipes from different people, kind of without um, a critical eye to it, then everybody has their own baseline of what's needed in the kitchen. You know, those are the 25 pages at the beginning of every cookbook that nobody reads because everybody <laughs> skips straight to the goddamn recipes, right? Uh, but in those 25 pages, people explain kind of their style and basically their inventory and the pantry ingredients they rely on. And so that's definitely something where people will start, for example, working with me. At the beginning, they might be buying a bunch of spices and then they're like, oh, I'm always using the same, but it doesn't always taste the same because they get combined in a different way. But what you do see on a lot of 
recipe websites is, for example, sponsored content. I can't remember what the name of the company. It's Mac something that makes the spices, right? And then you have McCormick. a sponsor. McCormick, yes. Yeah. So they have the sponsored post where they came up with this chipotle lime taco seasoning. I'm just making this up. And like there's a recipe featuring that. You don't need to go buy that thing. You need oregano, cumin, and like some kind of chili powder and maybe a, you know, a little bit of lime in there and that will taste about the same. But if you look at the recipe, I had this roommate, you know, she would look at a recipe and I was like, oh, there's paprika. I can't do the recipe. I don't have paprika. You know, I was like, just skip the stupid paprika. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think, I think there's that idea that recipes are, you know, the boss of us. And in practice, what I've discovered as I was making the meal plans and I'm getting to the end of this is that there's really like five to 10 standards. Think of it as jazz songs, right? You listen to a jazz tune and you've actually heard it before, right? There's standards and they've just been played different ways by different interpreters. And for, for food, it's the same. Like in the standard vegan cooking, there's like stir fries, there's salads and bowls, there's casseroles, there's uh, kinds of soups and stews. If there's more liquid, it's a soup. If there's less liquid, it's a, a stew, right? And if it's in between, it's a stew. Um, and there's like a couple of other ways to do things, but really, once you understand the grammar, you can cook anything. And I like to look at a recipe to see how they do it. I like to look at a recipe to have a new idea about combining different ingredients, but they're not the boss of me. And I think once you, you pay attention, because we spend so much time paying attention to other stuff when we're supposed to be cooking. Sometimes we're looking at our phone. I've never done that. Not me. <laughs> I know some people do that. They have their phone in the kitchen. Or, you know, you're trying to attend your kids or you're talking on the phone with your mom, which I do. And you're not paying attention to what you're doing. But once you start paying attention to what you're cooking, you realize most recipes kind of are the same to a large extent. And then you're allowed to substitute and mix things up to your liking based on what's seasonal, what you have in your pantry and you observe the results and sometimes it's less good. That's okay. You eat it and you think next time I'll make this change. And sometimes oh it's great. And you're like, what did I do? I have no clue. <laughs> that is a common statement at my dinner table. Uh, next time I'm going to do this I, because even with rest, it's so interesting. The longer I've been more interested in our nutrition um, and cooking, uh, the more freedom I feel in the kit, like the more I am to like adapt and switch things out. And sometimes I'll follow a recipe exactly. And I'm like, Ugh, I should have done this. And so <laughs> next time I'm going to do this. And so I just, it's really, we don't, what you're giving us permission to do is to not be so strict. <laughs> like just Trust yourself. Better. It's true for everything. Sometimes you got to trust yourself. And I'm not one to say that your little inner voice is always right. But sometimes, you know, there's typos in recipes. If it says, you know, two tablespoons chili pepper, it's okay to have a bell ring in your head saying, I'm not going to follow this <laughs> recipe. Um, but, you know, we, we have to become more empowered about the food that goes in, into our body. It goes all the way from choosing the food at the supermarket um, or the farmer's market or wherever to cooking it and giving ourselves permission to make mistake as in everything else in life. Um, and once in a while it does, I did set something on fire in the last year and it did end with pizza coming from the store. You know, that that's <laughs> sometimes really big mistakes get made. And that's the hardest thing you were mentioning money earlier, but you know, when money's tight, you don't want to make a mistake. 
because what if I ruin this and then there's no alternative, right? Well, then you're going to eat it anyway. Uh, it, yeah, but then if it's completely burnt, you don't want to do that, right? I mean, but the truth is there's only two ways to completely ruin a vegan dinner. Not true. Meat is a lot easier to completely ruin, right? And fish, especially. But vegan dinners, you know, unless you've got too much salt or too much heat, whether the heat is from spice or, or from an actual flame, you know, those are the ways you can ruin a dish. But other than that, it might be suboptimal, but it will never give you salmonella or E. coli or anything like that because it's undercooked. Never. That's awesome. You can eat, you know, raw vegan cookie dough. That's the best thing about being vegan. And you can eat all the cookie dough you want without fearing salmonella. Um, but it, you know, it might taste suboptimal, but that's okay. You'll do better next time. Well, you'll so, change your, your palate will change. I'm sure just the same with soda. I used to drink soda. Um, and I just quit drinking it because I didn't like how I felt. And I didn't, I don't like to, um, feel like something is controlling me. <laughs> I yeah, used to smoke totally. too. I quit that too. Um, but I really do enjoy carbonation. I love bubbly. So I have like my fancy water, like right here yeah, in yeah, yeah. all the time. This is important. This is a special event. I'm getting together with you. I get my fancy water. Told love you. it. I'm so like ritualistic. <laughs> Everything is like special. That's um, wonderful. And and that's, but that's what makes life good, you know? Yeah. But our palate changes. So I used to drink um, seltzers that had fruit in them. Um, like from the store, like bubbly or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And over time, I don't, it doesn't add to it at all. Like if I want to, I can add a little bit of juice to my own bubbly water at home. But like, if I have a soda now, it's almost over, it's, it's like over too much. Yeah. It's the flavor isn't even good because my palate has changed and the same thing has happened in my family as we have went more plant-based like I said we still have meat everyone but Naomi but we're not looking for the meat all the time might come up sometimes like where's the chicken (laughs) but it's not a thing anymore our palates have changed and our lifestyle is too so where can we find you and I will Link all of this in the show notes. Veganfamilykitchen.com is the number one place to connect with me. I like it a lot better than social media because you know what? I do that too. Sometimes I like things on social media and then I never hear from them again. Um, So if you sign up for my newsletter, that's my favorite way of communicating with people. And what I do is I send an email every week. And it's usually of the kind that nudges you to put down your phone and go cook something, um, which is a useful reminder for me anyway, and um, just encouraging notes. And I have a bunch of templates that people can print. That's a really good one, too. There's a bunch of seasonal templates in the printables section that people can download. And basically, it's like Mad Libs, Mm -hmm. you know, but for a meal plan where you tick boxes and you fill in blanks and it it brings you... um, some uh, some good ideas on on what to do with dinner without this uh, you know obsessive uh, search of a recipe on Pinterest that can send you down a really deep rabbit hole that you'll never come out of. And um, that's that's about that. I'm also on Instagram and and Facebook. That's a good place to message me. But really, my uh, my website and my newsletter are the the best place to have the most authentic connection with me. All right. Well, you heard it. 
if, if anybody is feeling inspired to run an experiment for yourself or for your family, head to the Vegan Family Kitchen. Thank you so much for taking time. I know this is probably outside of the norm for guest podcast episodes, um, but I really, 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 really was happy when you said yes. That's the the benefit of having a podcast is I get to invite people yes. that I want to learn from. Um, it's like a, it's a win-win. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me, Amy. That was a wonderful opportunity for conversation. And I, uh, I look forward to connecting more in the future. Whoa. I bet next time you open up your phone or your laptop or tablet and look at a recipe, you're going to look at it with a new set of eyes. Did we not just learn all the things. Today's episode was such a joy for me to create. I really hope it spoke to you. I hope it sparked something inside of you that has you looking at food and nourishing yourself a little bit differently. Not because you have to or I think you should, but because you can. You get to choose. You get to decide. You are the captain and cheerleader of your life. Everything you choose matters. There's a cost benefit to everything. And if intentional living is something that's on your radar, it's something you're working towards. How we nourish our body, how we take care of ourselves and how we feel in the process is definitely something you'll eventually think about. Roots change with every choice we make. Until the next time, you are loved, you are worthy, and you can achieve anything.